Are your retirement savings allocated efficiently? Here's what matters. Live from our respective coronavirus social distancing outposts, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Robert Sarenbetz. And this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we, the strategists at New York Life Investments, will share insights from the multi-asset solutions team. What we think matters is we manage investment solutions. That includes Mainstay's diversified portfolio series, including the Income Builder Fund, as well as bespoke solutions for our partners. By sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. It's the week of March 29, and today I'm sadly without Lauren Goodwin, but don't worry, she'll be back in a couple weeks. And this week, I am lucky enough to have a special guest on the program to help me out. While she can never be replaced, I couldn't think of a more capable guest to tackle today's specific topic. Paul Christensen, welcome to the program. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, it is a pleasure to have you. You are an economist by training with years of experience in portfolio management and quantitative analysis. And in late 2019, you set out to tackle this specific question. Are retirement savers appropriately allocating their investments? Yeah, that is a big question. There's no shortage of research speaking to retirement planning best practices. However, much of this work is focused on just the traditional asset types. How much do you have in the stock market? How much do you have in treasuries or the core bond market? But we've taken a much closer look at other potentially viable options that can offer more income. Yeah. And what do you mean by other viable options? If we look across some of the most popular balance funds and target date funds, the data actually shows that in some cases, many of these funds fail to allocate or just under allocate to non-core fixed income asset classes. And that includes high yield bonds, convertible bonds, short duration, high yield funds, and taxable municipal bonds. And that's an area where there are some diversification benefits potentially and, and some uh, some reasonable sources of income there. Hmm, That's really interesting. So you're saying that in these very popular retirement type strategies, there is an under allocation to things that can improve your diversification or generate more income. Why is that? We believe there may be some skepticism out there about the asymmetric properties of these asset classes, because especially if you're investing in high yield corporate bond funds, there is, of course, significant downside risk during really bad times. And also liquidity in those parts of the market can be unstable and during bad times that can hit you. But the counter argument to that is that having exposure to high yield and other non-core fixed income classes can in fact provide diversification, especially during times where the stock market gets very rocky. And you can't just look at one example to make your case. Obviously, the great financial crisis in a way had severe implications for the corporate bond markets. And if you look at, but if you look at it, crises historically, for instance, going back to the dot-com crash, other examples like early early 1980s, there's a lot of evidence that having non-core fixed income and high yield actually could lower your downside risk. That's really, that's really interesting. So basically, what we're getting at here is that there's some risk of significant loss in any of these asset classes, but they're uncorrelated enough, meaning they don't move in the same direction all the time, that they offer a differentiated source of return. And so when you combine them together, that reduces your overall portfolio risk and could 
provide a hedge against market volatility and also potentially increase your long-term returns. Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's a pretty good way to put it. Our research shows that if you add high yield, for instance, high yield exposure to a classic 60-40 stock bond portfolio, historically, if you look at a range of different crises, you get what we call better risk-adjusted performance in the sense that you can get a little bit more return and potentially even a little bit less risk. So it's definitely worth considering. Hmm. That's great. That's why every portfolio strategist out there looks for. But not a lot of investors that we work with think in terms of standard deviations and returns and volatility. A lot of investors just think about drawdown. How much could I lose in a bear market? What goes on here? We definitely think that is a very valid point. Standard deviation just measures what are the fluctuations in the value of your portfolio, which of course matters. But what can really hurt you is the downside fluctuations. Few people worry too much about the upside fluctuations, which makes sense. And when the distribution is asymmetric, and that is the case for many credit-oriented asset classes because the nature of buying a corporate bond is that you are actually a creditor. You're lending money to the business. If the business does not fare well, you could lose a fairly solid chunk of that. But if the business does very well, you're still just a creditor. You don't actually own the company. So there's natural asymmetry. We have taken a very close look at that over the decades, looking at how portfolios that contain high-yield bonds alongside stocks and core bonds have fared on the downside during periods where there's been turmoil in the markets and how do they compare. And it actually compared quite favorably, especially if you look at periods like the dot-com crash and the early part of this century. If you look at periods like the early 1980s where stock markets suffered, having exposure to corporate bonds in those situations actually materially lowered the drawdown. So on average, the downside risk can actually be mitigated by mixing your assets appropriately. That's great. And it doesn't just come back to mixing assets. And I think that this is the fascinating part. We thought about what would happen if we drop this allocation into an already diversified strategy, like a target date fund. And what we found is that by shifting 20% of your assets from popular target date options across the board to something like a high-yield bond, that improves the trade-off between risk and return over the life of the investment. That observation held true for each of the target date suites we tested and offered by the four largest vendors competing in that market. That is a very significant observation. And it shows that you can, in fact, improve. Either you can get a higher return for the level of risk you're already taking, or you can accomplish similar rate of return, maybe at a lower risk. Yeah, exactly. And it also showed that potentially these target date funds are, like we talked about at the beginning of the program, under-allocated to these non-traditional sources of income because by coupling a diversified product, an already diversified product, with these non-core fixed income assets, it helped improve returns. But here's the issue. This can be difficult in practice because by coupling that already diversified product with other investments before understanding its underlying securities, it might leave you over or underexposed to risk relative to your retirement savings goals. Absolutely. That's a good point. Yeah. So let's wrap this up here. Paul, does the diversification benefit hold across other non-core fixed income assets? It does. 
when you look at correlations across these assets, it points to potential diversification benefits that are not just limited to high-yield fixed income alone. When we ran optimizations of portfolios using historical data over the last 30 years, roughly, we found that the best trade-off between risk and return was actually achieved by holding up to 35% of assets in a blend of non-core fixed income. And that included convertible bonds, municipal bonds, and it included short-duration high-yield as well. So data definitely suggests significant diversification benefits across several of these asset classes. That's great. And uh, anytime you start throwing around actual allocation figures, I know it's a perfect time for our portfolio pause, a segment of the program where we share an investment idea. And I think the big question today is, are there still opportunities in non-core fixed income, but specifically high yield? Because credit spreads are so tight and bond yields are rising from low levels. It's a very reasonable question. We do have fairly tight credit spreads at this point, around 350 basis points. And that looks quite tight relative to the amount of defaults we have seen in 2020. And the default rate remains relatively high. But there are reasons to expect defaults to be peaking, perhaps right around now. We are seeing the economy pick up. It's likely the economy is going to pick up significantly this spring as vaccinations are enabling service industries to open. And fiscal stimulus is very significant. Balance sheets are looking very healthy in a lot of industries. So it could very well be the spreads could tighten further through this optimism. But of course, there's a little bit of skepticism one needs to have. And we prefer exposure in the short duration part of the high yield market. And one of the reasons, uh, the main reason is that interest rates could potentially rise a bit further as discussions about Fed policy over the next several years will start to heat up as the economy heats up and inflation perhaps peaks up. And with less of a cushioning in the spread, this could mean that rising treasury yields could also start impacting the prices of high-yield bonds. And in the short-duration part of the market, an investor is less exposed to that. We do think the default rate likely is close to a peak and potential could decline quite a bit over the next 6 to 12 months. But we still need to have some caution that defaults can still remain relatively high also through second and third quarters even though growth could be high because there are still some companies that are reeling from the impacts of the pandemic. That's a great point, Paul. And I think the main message that I'm getting from your expert analysis here is that there are still significant risks to the high-yield asset classes. Well, it does create a diversification benefit, the return distribution varies significantly. And you talked about it earlier in the program. There's significant asymmetric risk. There's a big risk of loss if a company defaults. And so the message to me there is that you have to be, you have to know what you're buying in this asset class. You have to be buying debt from good companies that you don't expect to default. Absolutely. The asymmetric distribution of risks is a very significant hallmark of this asset class. And that's also why in this particular kind of situation, because we have companies still reeling from the impacts of the pandemic, many of those companies may not necessarily make it, even with a rebound and a reopening of the economy, if the debt load just proves to be too high. And that means that this particular type of environment, having an active manager who is navigating individual industries, is aware of specifics within individual industries, is, is very important right now. Just buying an index of corporate bonds might in fact expose you to too much of that downside risk. Put simply, defaults and write-downs 
greatly impact the returns of non-core fixed income assets like high yield. In that case, the key to performance then is dependent on two things. First, the amount of total risk that you're taking in your portfolio. And second, the use of an active manager who has historically generated alpha through loss avoidance. Coming up next week, it is jobs week. We get the jobs report this Friday and we expect the data to reflect a continuing improvement in the economy. Most recently, we received a report from the Federal Reserve that showed that the economic reopening is underway. And we expect that to be well reflected in the employment report coming up this week. But that's it for today. We'll be back next week for more Market Matters. Make sure you let us know what matters to you. If you have a question or if you have a topic of interest, reach out to us on social media. You can send us your questions or highlight what matters to you on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views on our website at newyorklifeinvestments.com and clicking the insights tab. But until then, I'm Robert Zarenbetz. See you next time. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamont and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I'll now read our disclosures from compliance. For more information about Mainstay Funds, call 1-800-624-6782 for a prospectus or summary prospectus. Investors are asked to consider the investment objectives, risks, and charges and expenses of the investment carefully before investing. The prospectus or summary prospectus contains this and other information about the investment company. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. There's no assurance that the investment objectives will be met. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as of a specific date. It is subject to change and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is a service mark and name under which New York Life Investment Management LLC does business. New York Life Investments is an indirect subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company, New York, New York 10010, and provides investment advisory services and products. New York Life Distributors LLC is located at 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302. New York Life Distributors LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.